Welcome to the Common Ground Podcast presented by Cross of Christ Lutheran Church in Winfield, Indiana. We strive to live out our faith by acting on Christ's instruction to love our neighbors. We want to make a positive impact on our community. And it's this commitment to community that is the common ground we will be discussing with our podcast guests. In today's inaugural session, we will be speaking with Cody Reynolds, who was elected in 2022 as Winfield Township Trustee. He has just completed his first year in office, and leading the discussion today will be our pastor here at Cross of Christ Lutheran Church, Reverend Tamara Jacoby. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate the introduction, and welcome, Cody. We are so glad to have you here, and thank you for being our first guest uh, for Common Ground. We we appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here, not only uh, with you all today, but as the first guest, and I'll try to live up to those expectations, but I'm really looking forward to today's discussion, so thank you. Great, great. Well, a little bit more about our Common Ground podcast. Uh, We had um, our previous president um, apply for a grant, and the grant um, was to find a way to connect with our community, our business leaders, our political leaders, um, the leadership in general, where we find a common thread of how we live out in in the church, our faith, but then also our moral compass. And where do we find that common ground among us? And uh, so this is going to be, I think, a very fruitful discussion. So uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, Cody, about you. Um, tell us a little bit about growing up and how it formed you to serve your community like you do as a civic leader. Well, again, thank you. Um, you know, I'm a Winfield Township native. I was born at St. Anthony's Hospital in Crown Point and lived in unincorporated Winfield Township my whole life. Um, graduated from Crown Point High School and also a graduate of Indiana University down in Bloomington. Um, But probably even more than all of those things, and believe me, I fully understand that I had the wonderful benefit of having grown up in such an amazing community, even with the dramatic growth we have had here in the last few years, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later in this discussion, this community offers so much to us, whether it is the you know, high quality schools or other, all of the other amenities that exist here that maybe don't exist other places, um, I don't take any of that for granted. But probably what really influenced me the most into becoming civic-minded or um, kind of putting forward what I believe in or believe it to be a constituent service model in government is really from my parents. I I think most things, as with most things, it begins in the home. And my mother is an educator. My father works for the Indiana Department of Transportation. And so from a very very early age, the idea of giving back to our community, being part of the community, and serving others was something that my family took very seriously. And I think that that really um, helped laid the foundation in me that helped get me here today. I, I can I can really see that. And as you were talking about your family, and I can see kind of your memories kind of spring to life and being nurtured uh, as being part of the community. And that is so important in the world that we live in is to pass along that that wonderful way to um, give back 
and, and connect. Um, so thank you for that. Um, you you do you are a son of Crown Point, <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am, and Winfield. And so, um, when Winfield came on the map and this this particular position opened, um, what what prompted you to run? Sure. So I had actually just returned back to the state. Um, I had served in Washington D.C. at the at the U.S. Department of Education. Um, I had been out there for about three years, and I had served prior to that in some other capacities for elected office holders. So, for instance, I worked for a congressman as his community liaison. I worked as a scheduler for the state treasurer, different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back, you know, it was right at the beginning, right, really right before COVID happened, and watching the community adapt to those issues and change in the way so many things in our world have since then, it really revealed to me that there was something missing here in our most local unit of government and so in our township offices. we it, it wasn't so much that there was a lack of service being provided, but there seemed to be a lack of cohesion. There wasn't a direction. There wasn't a vision. And so in seeing that, I felt that given the different experiences that I was blessed to have had by in early age, I mean, I was, you know, I was in the, working in the White House by 25. I was here running for this office by the age of 31. Um, I really felt like I had something I could give back at that time. I had learned a lot. I had had experiences working with some of what I, some of who I believe to be some of the best and brightest in our country. And so, not that I myself am the best and brightest, but I, because I am far from it, but I do believe that I have had something to offer in that moment. And so, I came back and really wanted to engage with the community. So, not only in this role, but prior to that, um, I began in a volunteer capacity to be the chairman of the Winfield GOP. And I also do some pro bono work for a couple of nonprofits in South Lake County, um, primarily around early childhood education, although not exclusively. And I just felt this was the next step in my ability to give back. So I was already doing those other things. Um, I noticed this little bit of a challenge that our community was facing in terms of maybe cohesiveness and a vision and just that community aspect, right? Being one solid community. And so that's really what inspired me to put my hat in the ring. Very, very good. And and I commend you for that. Um, not a lot of people at that age uh, really feel um, the responsibility or I call it the joyful burden of serving mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's that's definitely uh, something that we do need and I, I appreciate that um, so who has been most influential for you I mean you mentioned your parents of course mm-hmm. um, as guiding uh, your moral compass but you have a lot of experience, and mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about who you look up to. Sure. Well, first and fo- foremost, um, you already mentioned one of them. My mother is, you know, again, your parents play an incredible role in, in almost everybody's lives, understanding that not everybody is blessed to have those, that same situation. Um, but my mother, like I said, as I said originally, she's an educator. She is somebody who has... Um, an appropriate level of ambition to match her limitless drive. And I say it that way intentionally because she is not somebody who always wants more. She is somebody who wants to do the best in what she's doing. And so that's why it's appropriate ambition with a level of dedication that's probably unsurpassed by almost anybody else I know. Um, 
And then the importance that that plays in how she was able to give back. Um, you know, she works with younger children predominantly, but school-aged children, and, you know, she's able to touch so many families, over hundreds of families, you know, in a given year. And having the power to do that, and it's not just through the education of their children, but it's through maybe they're a family that's struggling, and so maybe they can't afford the cost of this. You know, she set up scholarship funds and other things within her 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 school, her business. It's, it's a nonprofit. It's an early childhood facility um, to where she can help offset those costs, to where those kids can still get a high-quality education and not have to suffer any negative repercussion of what may be a temporary issue for the family or maybe long-term. But either way, it shouldn't impact that child's growth, right? And then similarly with my father, you know, his is a little bit more real in the sense that he is somebody who goes, he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. He is one of those tried and true people who will get up every day and go to work and probably hasn't missed a day of work in his life unless it was a planned day off. And I think that's incredibly exceptional, especially when you consider, I mean, you're working for the Indiana Department of Transportation. You are the folks who are keeping our door, our, our roads open so that people can go to work and so that our, our economy can function. And so just the idea that you can't ever kind of give up, you need to consistently give back. You can't just say enough is enough. I've done enough today. That That's not really acceptable in my family. Um, there's always kind of that strive, striving to do more. And then with my grandfather, especially, so I was one of those children who was always described as an old soul. And I I attribute part of that to the fact that growing up, my grandfather was my best friend. Um, and he and I had uh, a quite, what I think to be a quite unique, but just amazing relationship in the sense that in, in when politics is applied, we're pretty much opposites, or we were, he's no longer with us, but we were pretty much opposites. But it was the re the discussions and the arguments and everything that would result from that were so different than what we think of today when we hear that word politics, right? And and it was it it was camaraderie, it was jovial, it was for fun. Yes, we were exchanging ideas. Yes, we were not agreeing, but it wasn't with the banter and the kind of the connotation and negativity we see today. And so, you know, from him, I really learned the importance of being able to stand up for yourself and stand up for what you believe in. Um, and having a good, having kind of a good sense of humor as you do it along the way. Oh, that's so important. I'm watching you grin as you probably picture his face and the banter back and forth and, and how that just really influenced you. I know my own father, uh, in the same way, uh, we were polar opposites and yet, uh, to debate with him was such a joy mm -hmm. and uh, definitely we could get passionate about our stance but he taught me so much in that sharing of ideas I love how you phrased that mm -hmm. so uh, if we could always put that in the forefront Absolutely. especially now um, so how has your faith played a role in how you live out your beliefs in in service, in your vocation, in your personal life. Sure, absolutely. So I'm somebody where faith was always important in my family. Um, again, my mother being kind of the driving figure for me personally, but she was somebody who always preached more the importance of faith than specific dogma, if you will. And so, you know, we have a very Catholic family. We've been Catholic for, you know, going back multiple generations. Um and so from that, I think I also draw the importance of the sense of good works and kind of that level of service again. Mm. Um, and, and so I kind of always computed those two together. But 
you know, I always also felt that it was important that leaders felt beholden to some higher power than themselves. And so I, I, I was never, and I have never been a stickler for, you know, which denomination a person chooses to be, or, or in, in many cases, even which religion a person chooses to be. I have many good friends of all faiths, right? And, but I do believe it's important that somebody who's asking others to take, to put their trust in, in him or her, that that person should feel, feel beholden to something higher than himself. I just think that that helps breed sort of good government because if a person doesn't feel beholden to something higher than himself, I wonder what other motives could could come out of that in time. Wow, very very interesting, and I I think you're you're on to something um, when we're talking about a greater good um, and and who we answer to. Um, instead of our egos or our own private agendas, you know, what does it look like to, you know, really humble ourselves uh, before our higher power? And and you're right. If it's if it's Catholic, if it's uh, Lutheran, Methodist, I mean, we that's our common thread, our common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still be right. Um, united in right. the greater we, good of our community. We may have our differences, but we all still unite in Christ in that sense, right? And so I think that's important. I think there are still, regardless of the individualized kind of dogmatic differences, there are timeless truths that are inherent to the Bible and its teachings that we can all incorporate, not only into our daily lives, but those of us who are blessed or perhaps burdened with different positions such as these, that we then need to ensure we live those out in our lives. Very, very true. Now, um, was there particularly, uh, you talked about your grandpa, um, your mom's educational background, your dad's phenomenal work ethic and focus. Was there um, someone outside of that uh, familiar circle uh, who made a difference in your life? Uh, you know, when I thought about this question before this, I, I was like, I could make a list. And, <laughs> and, and I'd say in part, again, that's a commendation to the amazing school district I had the opportunity to go to and the amazing college I had the opportunity to go to. Um, there are educators all throughout my educational path that contributed in ways that they may not even themselves have realized were as meaningful as they came back to be, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and so as you kind of review your life in your head, some days you have the epiphany moments, the ahas, and you have those. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were there were several. You know, a couple that I would mention is you know, I'll, I'll try and mention sort of one from each each segment of education. But I would say, out of my elementary school years, um, Mrs. Jansen, sixth grade ed- sixth grade teacher, she was phenomenal. She was, I think, instrumental in helping me make that shift from being just a little kid in elementary school to being prepared for what ended up being you know middle school and high school, and just the level of responsibility that you kind of need to start to take on yourself um, in middle school. And then he actually went to the high school briefly for a little while, but Mr. Reed, he formerly taught at St. Mary's. He, he teaches, uh, I believe, well, it was at the old Taft. I don't know if he made, made the movement to the new Taft, but um, I also, again, he taught history at the high school. Fantastic guy, um, somebody who made learning fun, somebody who made the classroom experience enjoyable, and you and, and somebody who was very real. In a, in, a, in a world where I think teachers are at times afraid to express any hint of a personal opinion and I'm not talking political or anything like that but but any type of just honest you know 
mentor to mentee kind of discussion. I think some of that, I think we live in a time where people are afraid of that level of discussion mm-hmm. and he was not. Um, and so I really do commend him for that. And then um, Kelly Nelson, she's a biology teacher at Crown Point High School. Um, she is a fantastic human being through and through and just somebody who I had not only as my biology teacher, of course, but then when I was in high school, they they created a program called Top Dogs, and so it was student mentors, and so the seniors got to then help mentor freshman classes, and when I was a senior, I helped mentor one of her biology classes, and so, you know, we took it to probably to the farthest extent any of the other ones did that year in the sense that I got to teach a couple of classes with her, and so having those experiences um, were truly informative for me. You know, education as a whole is probably my biggest issue in in the public policy arena, if you will. Um, I believe that education, a quality education, can solve most of our societal ills and can help break a lot of those generational cycles, if you will. Um, and, you know, these, all of these people I mentioned, they're those kinds of individuals. They're the people that help break those cycles. They're the individuals who really do make the education meaningful and personal for those students. And I'd, And again, I'll preface, I don't think everybody gets that opportunity and even within that school district right i think it's it's kind of a unique thing um and so i do want to i do want to appreciate all of those and one thing i'll note too is just for fun is that you know those all those names and there's many more they're people i'll never forget and when i worked at the u.s department of education i was like how can we help give back to those folks too and the u.s department of education every year for national teacher appreciation week um, participates in a telethon where they call and basically thank educators all over the country. And so every year I made sure that some of those educators that were important to me um, over my lifetime were entered into that. And so I hope I hope those calls reached them and that they, they got the, the thanks that was truly meant through that. But those were those were always fun with fun things to do too. Oh, we we do need to thank our educators. And Rick, you have a, a strong education background as well. And uh, you know, what are some of your thoughts on our local education? Um, his experience has been extraordinary. Well, I think the Crown Point school system is exceptional. Um, we grew up in North County, and uh, one of the things, when our kids were young and we were thinking about them getting in the school system, that's one of the reasons we, we moved south. We wanted, we moved out to Crown Point. Just That was one of the main emphasis behind that was was to get to a better school system. And I think it's, it was a great place for our, our kids to grow up and wonderful school system to be a part of. Sure. I have to agree when um, I accepted the call here coming from LaPorte to Crown Point, we did our homework mm-hmm. and we looked at the numbers, we looked at the stats because we have our youngest, Annie, uh, who is now in high school, freshman, and uh, and keeping her engaged. Um, She's a brilliant young lady and to make sure that they were able to provide something that was challenging enough. And I'll tell you what, she comes home and is just excited, excited for the world that she's encountering. And this is just high school. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we certainly um, are in a place uh, in Crown Point and Winfield where we have an extraordinary blessing in the school system. I have to agree with you. And so, um, what, who, and what 
are some of the leaders, leadership um, that you would look up to in, in real time now? Sure. So being a little bit younger, um, one of the things that I've thought about is perhaps one of the hardest things about growing up is losing the rose-colored glasses, right? You mm -hmm. grow up and you realize that most situations are not cut and dry. They are not black and white. The answer is, if there is an answer, somewhere in the middle. And one of the things that happened to me on that, too, was that nationally, you know, I already explained that I've been blessed to have multiple opportunities to serve, even if not in direct elected capacity myself. Um, and so working for a former congressman who's now our attorney general, working for a former state treasurer and then working at the U.S. Department of Education in the White House, you have the opportunity to meet many of these people in real life. And I don't think I would be shocking anybody if I said that, you know, our national political discourse these days is pretty sad and that that has impacted a lot of the national leadership. Um, I, I personally no longer really look to our national leaders for that kind of exemplary um, leadership or, or value system there. And so I actually look more local personally now. And, and I think that that's a good thing because we can kind of avoid some of the mess that, that exists nationally, right? And so, you know, much more locally, I think of people, and it's funny that you mentioned that you're from LaPorte, um, Blair Milo, the former mayor oh, of, of LaPorte. love Blair. That young lady, and she's older than I am, but not by much, is a genius. <laughs> oh. She is incredibly intelligent. She is one of the most capable people I've ever met. So she is somebody who I do look up to and look for future leadership. She's... She's no longer in elected office now, but I think the sky is the limit for her. Um, and so really look forward to what comes out of her next. Um, you know, I think, though, we're very lucky right here in Winfield Crown Point. We have probably two of, the, two of the best elected leaders that I've seen in the state as of late. And those two individuals, in, in no order, are Julie Oltoff and Jerry Tibby. Um, Julie Oltoff is our state representative, for those who may not know. And uh, Jerry Tippy is our county commissioner for the southern court part of the county, which which we fall into. Um, and each of them has what I th has different things that I think bring makes them a unique but exemplary leader. But you know, Jerry Tippy is an individual where he is not in the majority on that council. You know, it's three people in the commissioners, and you would never know that there was daylight. You would never know that there was a difference because he is somebody who looks for the common ground. Right? He is somebody who takes into consideration that you are going to get more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. And I think in today's world, a lot of our leaders have lost sight of that. A lot of people think they lead by being the loudest voice in the room, not by being the person whose actions are the truest. And so, you know, both of them, Jerry Tippy and Julie Altoff, lead that way. Um, for Julie, especially though, one of the things that I think is most remarkable about her is that she's a true representative, and I don't mean that in the sense that her office title is state representative, I mean that in the sense that the vast majority of the bills that she has pushed in her time in office have all been generated from right here in the in, in our delegate state our state representative district. These are all issues that have come to her from you and me, from individuals who live here in this area who do not have a political connection, but she takes the time to get out there and meet them. She knocks on doors, she 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 puts in the time needed to get to know the community, and as a response she does surface real issues and that have allowed her to work and achieve real wins for not only our area but the whole state on issues like mental health, on issues mm. like um, support services for children, whether that's in school or outside of it. There's There are so many good things that she has been able to accomplish through that and it's because of her leadership style. She's not somebody who predetermines what she's going to legislate on. She actually takes the opportunity and the time to listen 
and think about what should she legislate on. And I think there's a difference there. I think it speaks to um, a difference than many of the other state legislators and otherwise that I've come across in my time. Hmm. I, I agree. Listening is so important. It's like you take the pulse of your community and you pause enough and diagnose mm-hmm. um, and and finding that sweet spot that that meets a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we have leaders like that, um, then we can we can match the growth that's coming up. Right, because there was a there was a candidate for president years ago that made a comment and it was if you're looking for some if you're looking for a candidate that you will agree with 100% of the time look in the mirror because that's the only person you're going to agree with 100% of the time and i and i think that's meaningful i think there's there's an urge in not only our local community but america writ large today where they sort of want to spit in the face of good because it's not great and I have the opposite opinion. I think that progress is progress and that making a meaningful gain by itself, even if it was only 80% of what you wanted, is still a meaningful gain. Gain, excuse me. And so to me, I, I think that's incredibly important. I, I think it's a win, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how you, you spell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, the Bears, uh, if you remember, the Bears uh, used to have a slogan, win ugly. Mm-hmm. It was still a win. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So I think true. I've just dated myself. No. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that struck me um, the first time we met was your passion for administration. Now, in the church, we refer to that as a spiritual gift or a fruit of the spirit. As a Catholic, I'm sure you've heard that as mm-hmm. well um, in your catechism. I am a... Uh, a parochial school uh, girl myself, and so uh, I know I've heard that for many years. How do you view your gift of administration and organization? Well, I'm glad you call it a gift. I think my parents, myself, and a few (laughs) others might call it anal retentiveness, but but in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I view it I view it as essential. I view it as a necessary component of what I like to think of as a constituent service model. And what I really mean by that is the only way I can be certain, feel certain, that I am providing the highest quality services to our residents that I can is if I know the administrative day-to-day operations are running appropriately and smoothly. Um, I do think that was something that maybe wasn't being done before. And so, you know, it's an area, as you've pointed out, I really have focused on. Um, You know, I also think it's important for folks to know that because then how else how else are individual residents and neighbors in this community supposed to have trust in the government if they can't trust in its processes, right? Um, because people are always people. There are good and there are bad people. Good people can make mistakes just the same as a bad person can. But those in, those internal processes are what really help prevent that. And and the fact and and, a, and an individual's willingness to embrace them or not, I think, speaks volumes. Um, and so that's where I've spent a lot of my time. I think it's important. It's not incredibly, um, you know, it's not an incredibly, like, interesting or fascinating topic. But nonetheless, it's necessary because the only way to ensure good governance and to ensure that you're providing actionable, effective, and timely information to your residents is to know that your own house is operating the way it should be, you know. And so um, we've spent a lot of time this past year on that, on 
trying to make things more available via the website on installing more internal processes, whether it's regarding purchasing controls or just really anything you can imagine. We, we are, for the first time, creating a Winfield Township um, employee handbook. And so a lot of these things that we think of as being natural or just necessary components of business operations, they, 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 don't, they haven't existed here. And I also personally believe that before I can go on or anybody can move on to tackle some really big picture things, you have to make sure these intricate pieces are laid down first. So this is really, this was the foundation for the first year, which then I fully intend to be that foundation for the rest of my term and in a second term if I'm so blessed to, to have that opportunity. But um, it is something that particularly having worked for other elected office office holders, you realize the importance of it. Um, one of the biggest influences on this particular piece was really, he's now our attorney general. He was a, formerly a congressman, Todd Rakita. Um, I worked for him as a community liaison for him back in his congressional district. And, and I did later work for his attorney general's office, but he taught me the importance of having, you know, the systemic approach to this, to make sure that as few things as possible could fall through the cracks, you know, because again, we're all human beings. We are all going to make, make mistakes despite our best efforts. But what's important, right, is how we learn from that. And I view individuals like those, individuals who have maybe been in those positions for a while, they've learned. They've probably made the mistakes. And so when you come across somebody like a Todd Rakita who, you know, he's a former pilot, so everything with him is a checklist. And you see these things and you see the redundancy and part of you makes, you know, you kind of want to make a joke about it and you kind of want to laugh about it. But at the end of the day, it has real value. And now, you know, being in the driver's, driver's seat, so to speak, you know, being my own elect, being an elected official in my own right, you see the importance of it. And there's, there are many, many things that he did and some of the others that I've worked for do or did that I have since incorporated because good good government is just that. It's just good government. And I think we should never be afraid to borrow best practices when we see and find them. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember uh, when um, Jane Koenig and I came to your office and you had these spreadsheets and it was just remarkable to me how you were systematically going through the health and well-being of how the county and how the the township is is being um, the needs are being met and uh, just kind of laying out that groundwork that due diligence that gets us where we need to be mm -hmm. um, and and what a gift that will be to any leader that follows you as well well thank you I and mean, one of the biggest things I've already said you know education as a policy issue is one of my most one of my favorites nearest and dearest to my heart um, in that same vein, I do view myself as a lifelong learner. I'm always open to trying to learn more about the situation. And what I hope to be able to do in time through this office, too, is begin to educate people on some of these issues. Because I do think it's incredibly important that we learn what the difference is between a town and a township and what services are provided where. Um, because only then do you actually know who to go to when you are facing challenges in your life. And, you know, that's the thing, right? That's one of the things that I've always tried to keep in the back of my mind throughout this first year in office is that a person's life can change in a heartbeat, right? It can mm -hmm. change in an instant. Just because you wake up one morning and you're, you're, financial, you're financially stable and life is good doesn't mean that you're not one accident away from maybe not being, right? Or, or something like that. And 
you see that a lot in the need that we have here. And I know we'll get into this in a little bit, but Winfield has an interesting level of need. It's it's not always highly visible. It's oftentimes, um, I want to call it incremental, but that's not really the right word either. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It's not like a consistent level of need. People will need it because maybe they're shifting jobs or people will need help because maybe they lost a job. They had a health emergency. They're taking care of a loved one who had a health emergency. Um, and so it's a little bit more nuanced. I think it takes a little bit more time and effort to identify that and then also be able to then appropriately respond. Mm. Very good. The, the response and, and feeling the need for that is how we go that extra mile. Um, that's how we serve. That's how we meet people where they're at. Uh, in their lives and it has to happen um, especially at such a high level of growth that we're having um, it's got to happen in, in, in such a, um, a quick way it has to be a response time a turnaround time that really meets the need without um, compounding uh, the issues now, speaking of, Winfield uh, is growing exponentially, and um, we're going to be adding like 5,000-plus homes. We see them as we drive down 109th, and we're looking at the various developments. What are some of the biggest challenges for Winfield communities, children, families, and, and those on the margins? Who's our at-risk population sure so that's a big question we're going to kind of piece that out if that's okay so you know i think I, I i would feel remiss if i didn't start this conversation by explaining a little bit the difference between what the winfield town versus the township is just because it's a geographic difference hmm. so um we have the same name but winfield township was incorporated in 1848 winfield the town was incorporated in 1993 i'm actually older than the town of winfield which is shocking <laughs> um but you know, that being said, again, like I said, there are different geographic boundaries. So all of Winfield Town is in Winfield Township, but not all of Winfield Township is in the town of Winfield, if that makes sense. So the town of Winfield is everything from 101st here north of on 109th south to 129th, or up 101st off of Randolph south to 129th, right? And then over to Colorado on the west side and County Line on the east side. That's the town. Well, the township is all of that plus everything south of 129th down to 173rd. So there's a very large, although albeit much less populated, section that is the unincorporated portion of our, of our township, right? So um, just I think it's helpful for people to know that because, to your point, Winfield Town is growing dramatically. For the past four years, they have grown at a rate at above 3%. They are one of the three fastest, we are one of the three fastest growing towns in Lake County and one of the 10 fastest growing towns in the state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, so you're entirely right. Obviously the town's growing faster than township, but that's gonna have multiple impacts. The town may try to annex unincorporated parts of the township, which would be within their right as long as the people there agree to it. There's a whole public process for that. Um, and so, you know, that can that's kind of a point of give and take between the two of us too. Um, but I would say from the town's perspective, the biggest issues facing the town in the next few years are all actually quality of life issues. You know, in these first decade or two of its existence, its issues were financial. Um, they simply didn't have a tax base to, to support the cost of the services they were trying to provide. Now they're getting that tax base, right? That's what all this growth is for. 
And so now they have to focus thing on things like streets. Or do we have enough, do we have easements? Because one of the things about the town of Winfield is, is they don't own any of the easement outside of what they already own. It's because they have to buy it all. So when they go and they widen 109th or they build a roundabout on 117th and Randolph or they do any of these things, they're going to have to purchase the easement in that area to do any of that. And a lot of city and towns don't have that problem. So that that's one. Um, going right along with that, I would say, is also sidewalks. I know there's a lot of desire for sidewalks here in the town because we are developing more of a commercial pro presence. And so people want to be able to walk from one place to the other rather than having to drive to drive to drive to drive from point to point. And so I, I can see that being a big piece. Um, and then, you know, lastly, but definitely not least important is kind of controlling the growth. Um, I don't want to say inhibiting growth because truthfully I don't think that there is anything anyone elected or otherwise could do to all of, all of a sudden make it to where nobody was building anything in Winfield tomorrow. Um, but we can do things to make sure that it grows in a planned and orderly way. And so one of the things that the town has already done is a lot of these developments are done in phases, right? They'll do like Aylesworth phase one, and then there'll be a phase two. You'll do Lenar mm -hmm. phase one, and then there'll be a phase two. One of the smart things that the town council did here was they said nothing could be done. None of the phase twos or later phases could be started until everything was done in phase one. And that's pretty smart. That means let's take a look at what we have. Let's make sure we build out these initial areas. And one of the reasons that they did this was because of utilities such as road, con road uh, congestion as well as like water services, right? Because the town is already pretty near capacity. Mm. Um, so I, but, but to restate and to kind of bring it back together, I do think for the town, the biggest issues are gonna be those quality of life type issues for the next several years. Um, for the town and township, I think their biggest joint issue right now is this um, idea that we may transition from a, what is currently a volunteer fire department with the Lakes of the, Vol Lakes of the Four Seasons Volunteer Fire Force which is the fire department that serves everybody in Winfield Township, whether you live in the town of Winfield, you live in Lakes of the Four Seasons, Palmer, Leroy, anywhere, that's your fire department. Um, but they're not full-time guys, guys and gals. And I say that because we do provide a 24-7 ambulance service, but again, those individuals are not considered full-time in the capacity that you know we all, when we hear that term, what we think of. And so we need to do that. To, to put it into perspective, over the last 20 years, the call volume out here has quadrupled. We now are we are now at 15, 1600 calls a year. We used to be at like 400. Mm. Yet in that same time period, we've only been able to add two more people in staffing. Now, I think it's pretty reasonable to understand that going from two people to at most four people at any one time is still probably not enough to respond to four times the call volume that two was okay for, right? The math pretty much works that out to where that's not gonna work. Um, and so rightly so, Zach Beaver on the town council, myself, um, John Derwinski on the town council as well, have been working with members of what's known as the West Porter Fire Protection District. So if you live in the Lakes of the Four Seasons on the Porter County side, or you live north of Hebron on the Porter County side, or west, excuse me, of Boone Grove and south of like Lake Eliza, you would fall into the West Porter Fire Protection District. Um, and they are the ones that are responsible for guiding your tax dollars on how they pay for fire service. Um, so those three entities are coming together and we are trying to create a fire protection territory. And what this would do is this is the state's preferred way for, cha from, for changing from a volunteer department to a full-time one. This is 
one of the few ways that we can actually take change the local tax structure so that they can get a direct tax levy to then support them. Um, and so this has been a project for really the entire year I've been in office. Um, this spring, we're really hoping here soon actually to be able to announce um, a timeline for public hearings so that we can get public input on what this fire territory would look like so that we can meet the state required timeline to have a final vote on a final version past all three of our governing boards, so the Winfield Town Council, the Winfield Township Advisory Board, and the West Porter Fire Protection District Board of Trustees by the end of March. And so it is an ambitious timeline. Um, it's going to take you know a full team approach here. It's going to take everybody working together to make this go. Um, but again, I have a lot of faith in some of my counterparts, like I said, Zach Beaver at the Town Council, Brad Zupan and Joe Wazawadi and Rob Rabelhofer at the West Porter Fire Protection District Board that I think we can get this done. Um, and it's necessary. I mean, I gave you the, I gave you the stats from the call, the call side, but from a financial funding point, in almost 30 years of existence, their funding's gone up $200,000. And again, they're being required to respond to four times the calls that they were before. You know, an ambulance, put it this way, a fire truck, a brand new one, costs over $800,000, and you're probably not getting it for two years. So when you have three entities that are kind of piecemeal supporting this life-saving and necessary service, it brings me concern. Um, and so I think it is imperative for all of us that we ensure our community continues to grow, thrive, and benefit from the fact that we would have a full-time fire and EMS service. The other thing I'll add on that right now is one of the big pieces there I said at the end was EMS. And I, and I bring that up at the end just to say that one of the things we're trying to fix is if you live in Lake County right now, um, in our side, what, the Winfield Township area, you are paying for the ambulance service that services the West, the Porter County side, and they're not paying for anything. And I understand why, why someone would like to get a free service for 30 years and then would also not like to have to start paying for it. But this is something we need to fix because everybody needs to have a little bit of skin in the game. And so this, this and many other reasons is why we're looking at it, but I do consider that to be our biggest joint issue between the town and the township you know, here in our area. It's definitely a priority. Uh, when you're saving lives, when mm -hmm. seconds count, we have to have the manpower and the equipment to respond appropriately. Absolutely. And uh, I, I appreciate that, that focus uh, that you have. Um, with some of the other leaders that you're naming. Now, um, one of the things, uh, just kind of shifting a little bit, mm -hmm. um, while a visible um, homeless population is not obvious in our area, I've read um, that we see housing insecurity in the youth and young adults through couch surfing. Um, and as you had said earlier in our conversation, uh, these are sometimes momentary lapses in um, a situation, but basically we're all kind of uh, accident away um, mm -hmm. from some kind of shift or trans uh, transition in our lives. And we have these young people going from family members to friends on a rotating basis. What are some of the resources available for those struggling with housing? Sure. So um, there are actually, and this is a wonderful question, so there's a, there's a lot of resources out there, and I don't think people really realize that. So first and foremost, 
um, you know, always at first go to your township trustee's office. So please come to me. Our address is 10645 Randolph Street, Suite B, right here in Winfield. Um, we're just north of the Buddy and Pals. We're literally right next door to this police station. We're same building. Um, but we can offer assistance not only for rent or mortgage, like you just said, um, but for utility bills, or maybe there was a death in the family and there's not enough money to pay for the cremation and burial, or there's a lot of different scenarios like that where we can help. Now, I will also say we do have an income threshold. You know, we, 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 the income barrier is 150% of the poverty, HHS poverty level. Um, but that also is, I think, a very reasonable stance because we live in kind of a higher cost community. And so what may not be cost prohibitive other places may be cost prohibitive here just because it costs more. Um, and so always stop by the township trustee's office first. And if we can't help you, we will be your pathway to getting service. We'll help connect you. Some of those other services we can help connect you to is the uh, Lake County Economic Development Commission. They can actually pay for your rent and mortgage. They'll pay up to one month if you are no, no more than one month behind. Hmm. And they'll do that for anybody in Lake County the one time. So, but that's a really cool way if we're talking about we're just having that transition ter transitionary moment. Um, there is an application form. You know, you have to, it, it takes, I don't want to say it's immediate, but they're pretty good about it. And you just got to get up, get there, get scheduled, and go meet with them. Um, additionally, you know, if we're talking about, and I love that you brought up the couch surfing, because when I was at the U.S. Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education at that time for the first time was heading the, okay, I'm going to get the name wrong, the Interagency Council on Homelessness, USITCH, the, yeah, the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness. And what USITCH's goal was while we were there was there are, I believe it's 26 different federal entities and agencies that have to do with federal homelessness policy. What's not surprising is most of them have a different definition of what homelessness is compared to the others. And so what we really focused on is instead of trying to get everybody to agree to one definition of homelessness, because many of these things are dictated through law, and so you'd have to go back through many, many, many pieces of legislation and try and get these incremental fixes. So rather than do that, our approach was let's create sort of a decision tree that was like if this, then this. If not this, then this, right? And so it could help direct a person to whichever agency may have the best benefit for their version of homelessness. Um, and so, for instance, when it comes to couch surfing, the U.S. Department of Education actually has probably the widest definition of homelessness out of any of the federal agencies um, because they, they would consider somebody who maybe they're staying with friends and they're consistently couch surfing, or let's say it's a, a single mother or a single father with two young kids and they no longer have their home or their apartment. They're, they're staying with their mom, so they're, they're at grandma's house now. That's considered unstably housed by the U.S. Department of Education. It's not considered unstably housed by the Department of Health, uh, Housing and Urban Development. So when you have a situation like that, I think it's important that we help people, again, be that pathway, be the connector, tell them the right place to go at the right time. Um, but where I'm going with the couch surfing is schools are actually the best way of tapping into resources for underage, children, underage individuals, minors, who are suffering from homelessness. They have something called the McKinney-Vento Act. It's part of, uh, I think it's Title VI. Um, I think it's part, Title VI Part B, I believe, actually. And this is a pop pool of federal money that the states can tap into and then allow the school districts to tap into to help provide wraparound services for unstably housed youth. Um, but like I said, in addition to that, you know, we offer, there's a lot of other source of resources. So in addition to housing, like I said, 
Um, you, if you're having issues maybe with your utility bills, there are things such as the uh, energy assistance program that's run by the state. Um, that, and what they'll do is they'll basically look at your financial situation, determine how much they can help pay towards your energy bill on a month, every month, and then your energy bill, your obligation is that much less. Um, another really good program, and it's a federal program that's out there, but I tell all of our clients to apply for it, it's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and this is something that actually came out of COVID. It was originally called the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, or the EBB. But what it did was, is as our society changed during COVID to being so focused on internet connectivity, having that e-learning, that telehealth, that e-working mm -hmm. environment, that it really helped raise broadband access and connectivity to the same level as any other public utility. So your street light or your lights or your water, because especially during that time period and even now, right? I mean, kids still have to do e-learning days. There is a huge mo movement in the health field now towards the the, the, mm -hmm. the telehealth stuff. Um, and I mean, I myself, in my other, in my private job, private side, I work from home. And so, you know, the emphasis placed on broadband benefit, broadband, broadband access um, isn't going to go away. And so what the Affordable Connectivity Program does is it creates a $30 benefit, it's like, it's like a subsidy, that would go to any of the eligible households um, to help pay for their, their monthly, on a monthly basis, to help pay for their internet or their devices. But one of what I love about this program is it was built to be a little more market-based than many of our other federal programs. And so what I mean by that is, Depending on your provider, your benefit may be larger, and also depending on your financial situation. And so, what I mean by that is, you know, we've we helped 23 different families last year with our township assistance programs. I would say over half of them are on the ACP. Um, many of them just got the $30 benefit. Some of them got $50. I know one of them got $80, and I know there are a couple of them that had. And it all depends on who your provider is. But once you get that meet that eligibility threshold, then sometimes they're able to do more. And so I've had a couple families where their entire bill is now free on a monthly basis because they qualified for the ACP. And so it's something that I tell folks, always check, always apply. It literally takes five minutes to apply online. There's a QR code that you can scan to get to the website or you can just come into the office, we'll give you the paper. Um, but it's a great program. And I really think we, I think the folks in our community need to kind of take up, take that program up more because I, there's a there's a tool online created by the Education Superhighway, which is a nonprofit that focuses on broadband accessibility primarily for families with children in schools. Um, but one of the tools that they created was there's a tool that allows you to see out of the percentage of the population in any one zip code that is eligible for the ACP that has actually begun using it. And so it was some, the last time I checked it, it was something like 75, 80% of those eligible weren't using it. And to me, that's leaving free money on the table. That means that these, indiv these individuals who have need aren't getting the help that they are now entitled to. And so I think it is only incumbent upon myself and others and those in, those in leadership positions to make them aware of those resources. And so, like I said, always come to your township trustee's office at first. We can be your connection point to all of these resources because there is a whole world of assistance out there and let us help you connect you to the right one. Absolutely. Uh, just a fountain of resources and uh, that you're pulling them <laughs> all together for us. Um, just amazing. Um, what are some of the... Uh,
resources that are available for those. Uh, of course, we you talked about uh, utilities, repairs, rents. Um, in these cold temperatures, mm -hmm. uh, there are people who are experiencing water heater, frozen pipes. Mm -hmm. um, what are what are some of the things that the community? If, if they're finding frozen pipes right now, mm -hmm. can they come to the trustee's office and and um, can you can you help kind of guide them in some way? Yeah, so, so that's a good question. So then we've been getting a lot of those just given the weather right now. So yeah. unfortunately, the township isn't equipped to, with a way to fix that ourselves in that sense. Um, what we can do and what we have done in those instances is refer them to companies locally that we trust that might be able to make sure that may be able to understand their situation so the cost isn't quite as cumbersome as it might be. Mm. Um, on the preventative side, though, one of the things we can help you do, too, is there is kind of a uh, brother pro uh, or like a, a sister program, if you will, to the energy assistance program that the state offers that um, they will actually send people out to help winterize homes for seniors and people with low income. And so that doesn't answer necessarily what happens if they wake up tomorrow and they have a frozen pipe. But on the forward thinking side, that is something that if it's, you know, coming up on winter time next year or you just want to do it now, you know, come to our office. I, I am forgetting the name of the program off the top of my head, so forgive me, but we will happily help connect you to that too because we'd like to help the uh, respond on the front end rather than the back oh, end. That is so true. The other thing I'll, I will add there too, and it's not related necessarily to the frozen pipes, but um, we are working towards establishing a cooling and warming center in Winfield Township, and so this would actually be at our community center. Most people don't know that there is a community center in Winfield Township. Um, it's, it's on the southern side of the township, so it's not in the town of Winfield. It's out behind the town of Leroy. It's actually on 145th Avenue. Um, but that building has you know full generator capacity. It has seating capacity for about 105, um, and, you know, it's uh, it's on a well, so we don't have to necessarily worry about some of the other issues. And so, you know, our goal is over the next year to get it recognized as an official uh, heating and cooling site. But right now, we're we're trying to build towards that. So, more to come in the future there too. That, right now, that just has a sign that says it's the Leroy Community Center. Yep. But it's well wider. Well, so yes, yeah, so that's a great question. So the township actually purchased that property in two thousand. Well, we purchased the property in three tranches. But we started purchasing it in 2006. Um, the building had historically always been known as the Leroy Community Center, and so we have kept that name because it was important to that hyperlocal community of Leroy right there, right? And so, um, but it is, an, it is a township asset, and so, yeah, it is intended to be used by anyone, not only really even in the township. We actually use it for rentals. Um, for birthday parties or graduations, um, bridal showers, baby showers, you know, all of those fun things. Um, it sits on about 10 acres of land, and there's a back pavilion that's very nice, and it, the pavilion itself is newer. It's probably only a year or two old, and I will give um, proper credit to my predecessor, uh, Miss Paulette Skinner, the former trustee on that one. That was a big project to hers, and she did a very good job there. Um, but all that being said, come out and use the facility. It's amazing. Not very many people know about it. And it is a very cost-effective way to hold larger family functions that may be just too big to fit in your home, but not something you want to go and spend a ton of money on either. Hmm. And I think I think we're your price point on that. So, oh, very good to know. And how exciting to know that that we could offer 
uh, comfort and uh, a cooling and heating center um, in, in the foreseeable future. Definitely a, a need. Um, so now talking about other business leaders, clergy in the area, how can we support the work that you're doing? Um, your vision kind of unifies all of us into the greater good for the community. That's mm -hmm. our common ground. Yes. So what can we do as leaders to um, provide um, access to, to resources? Definitely I can see us distributing information and making sure that's readily available or promoting your, your office mm -hmm. and contacting you. Um, also the food pantry, you haven't uh, right. topped on that yet and that's yeah. a big aspect. Yep, it's probably the most regularly used part of our township function. Um, and so not talking about it wasn't intentional, it was no. more of I knew we were gonna get to it here. Um, <laughs> But no, but to answer that question, first and foremost, I think you actually hit the nail on the head of help be the conduit to our office. You know, you are going to know your congregation and your, your membership of your church better than I ever could. And you're, in many cases, probably going to have a little bit of insight into the family dynamic. And so there may be times where you feel comfortable going to a family that you know is in need and saying, have you talked to the trustee? Or you may want to talk to the trustee, you know, depending on how the conversation goes, because that has been instrumental in helping people realize that the services are even there, number one. But number two, there tends to be a little bit of a uh, reluctance to come in, and I think, and I, and I understand it, I think people feel maybe a little embarrassed sometimes. They don't want to have to ask for help. Mm. Um, but I always tell them, you know, this is literally what we're there for. If they're not coming in to ask us for help, we're not doing our jobs. And so, you know, they should never feel feel like they've, they're, that they're in a, it's, not, it's not appropriate to come in and talk to us. It's always appropriate to come in and talk to us. And so, but first and foremost, I think any, any church leader, any business leader here, if you have an employee, a customer, you know, a member of your church, a, you know, a member of your congregation who is in need, send them our way. We, we want to be their first stop and then help to connect them out to the additional resources like we've talked about. Secondly, and you guys do a wonderful job of this already, but we would love, we love when churches and other entities do food drives for us. Um, you know, we are always in need of food. We do have, as I've just said, a very active food pantry. Um, you know, our food pantry used to only be open two days a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've, we're now open every day of operations, so we're there Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, we have more than doubled the number of families we help in a year now, in just one year. Um, and, you know, we're also expanding not only the number of families we're helping, but the types of products that we keep on hand, the amount of products we keep on hand. So all of that is important to us. Um, you know, any kind of donation, food, monetary, otherwise. We recently, last year, we had to replace one of our freezers. It was old and it unfortunately just stopped working on us. Um, we have those needs from time to time, right? And so one of the things that I did, because to your point earlier, I like numbers and I like the administrivia <laughs> of it all. Um, you know, I, I thought it was in, I thought it was important to look back over the past year and actually do a cost analysis of how much have we spent out of our donation funds, which is what we do use for our, our food pantry. Everything we spend on our food pantry is all donation driven. It's not actually a single taxpayer dollar. Um, and we spend about $8,500 a year on it. And that helps us provide not only the day-to-day -day operational capacity of the food pantry, but then we provide 
Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas baskets. And so those are always a ham, a turkey, and you know all the fixings and everything we could want. And um, and so it, it costs money. You know, it's not necessarily cheap. And so one of the things that we're going to be trying to do for this year is put together kind of a fundraising campaign to try and raise about $9,000 so that we can fully pay for it you know, every year in that kind of way so that we never have to worry about running that well too dry. Um, and I think for providing about $40,000, $41,000 worth of food assistance throughout the year and having it only cost about 8500 that that's a pretty good exchange. Um, so we are part of the Northwest Indiana Food Bank as well, and so that's an amazing partnership for us. We do get a lot of free or reduced price food through them, and so we couldn't operate the way we do without them either. So I would be remiss to not give them a shout-out. Um, but that is a wonderful relationship we also have. Good, good. I that that's glad. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I know quite a few people uh, with the organization. Um, something else I wanted to bring to light, and I know you've met uh, one of our partners in business, uh, mm -hmm. Kate Mascow mm -hmm. of the Pet Pantry um, uh, of Winfield. It's something that we are partner partnering in and that there is a, a need as well mm -hmm. um, and uh, we hope to bring news of our, our soft opening uh, in the spring and uh, uh, working uh, to support also um, the uh, Lake County Animal Control mm -hmm. and Hobart Humane Society. Those are the big um, uh, shelters right now that uh, are struggling mm -hmm. and uh, our youth has taken on that project mm -hmm. and uh, Kate has been instrumental in uh, leading the way towards that and so we hope to make that available um, to the community as well in partnership with uh, your office uh, we can certainly spread the word of, of each of our projects so um, you do have uh, plans for fundraising. Uh, any ideas on, on what leadership can help you out with? Are you still in that uh, uh, stage of planning? We're still in the very early stages of planning. Um, luckily, my predecessors did a pretty good job on this front, too. And so we are not necessarily strapped for cash, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say we couldn't use it, but we're not strapped for cash. So we're trying to be intentional we want to make sure we have a full plan that we can implement and execute. So a little bit more to come on that, um, but we, we kind of know the dollar amount. Now we're trying to think of all the fun things we can do to get ourselves there. So, nice. um, But to your point on the business partnership side, um, I think there's a lot of things we can do. So you know, we already talked about the big one, which is just helping be a conduit to the office, and we'll do the same thing back, right? And you already heard me say it because when you asked if people have frozen pipes, what do we do? We tell them to use reliable companies that we use, right? So... Um, we do try and help pay that back as well, but one of the, there's a couple things that I don't think people often think of. So number one, when the township assists an individual, whether it's with utilities or mortgage or burial or any of the things we've talked about, food pantry, the goal, while we're certainly happy to be there to help them every, as they need, the goal is to give them the hand up, right? Not necessarily a hand out. Help them to get back up on their feet and reestablish themselves and fully conceding that not every individual is going to have that internal capacity right and so but for those that do and you can see it maybe they're just falling on some tough times maybe they haven't found a new job yet but they're looking and while there are a lot of jobs out there i will tell you that job market's tighter than it appears um and so i i do understand that but one of the things that's important to us and one of the things that i think is also good fiscal stewardship for the township 
is trying to find ways in which we can help a person attain employment so that we don't have to pay those bills next month and the month after. And so what we've talked about already with a lot of kind of our local employers, you know, McDonald's, Strax, others, is if they have job openings, please tell us. And then if we have clients that might need that, we will send them your way. And maybe it does or doesn't work out, but we would love to help be that pathway to employment and help people who live here find employment here. I, I it hurts. It hurts when I drive past these restaurants and these stores and I see their help wanted signs and I know how many people I have in my office that aren't working, right? And so I think that's an incredibly per- important part that's often overlooked. Same thing with childcare. One of the biggest obstacles to individuals going back to work is childcare. Mm-hmm. And that's of all ages because to your point, we have a lot more mixed families in terms of ages than we used to. So you'll often have a lot more, I think, than maybe we did 10 years ago where the kids are back living with the parents and they themselves have kids, right? And so in those instances, I have found that many of the reasons grandma and or grandpa can't go back to work is they watch the children during the day while the daughter or the son is at work. And, you know, we're a growing community. We have a couple of child care facilities right here. My understanding is that both of these child care facilities do accept the on-my-way-to-pre-K voucher and... Um, I forget the other one now, but there's two different state voucher programs that they offer that help pay for early childhood. And so if we can be more intentional about identifying which families the child care burden is impacting, we can help get them applied for this program and then hopefully accept it into one of our local early childhood facilities so that they can not only work right here, but their kids go to school right here and we're the entry point. So I think there are a lot of unique ways where we can work with specific businesses around the area to see how we can make these different things tie together. Um, And then last, of course, but certainly not least, is this idea of food drives and just co-promoting because, you know, that's why we do all the events that we do with the town, whether it's the Fall Fall Harvest Festival or the cleanup days or the movies in the parks is because we want to advertise the fact that we exist. We want people to come in and use our services. Um, So really anything we can do to be a presence at different events that are going to happen locally, we would always love to partner. Wonderful. And I think that's so important to model that behavior of cooperation and care, Mm -hmm. Uh, the compassion model where you can move through the world in a way that um, isn't antagonistic, um, but join together, Mm -hmm. all for the common good. Totally. Well, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, I know we're winding up some of our very last questions here. Um, How do you plan on on keeping pace with the extraordinary growth of Winfield? Sure. Well, like I said, it is definitely a delicate balance. Um, You know, the challenge is you have to plan for now and 10 years from now at the same time. Mm. And, you know, I've felt that pressure more than anywhere else in this conversation about the fire territory stuff because we are trying to create a permanent service that will be able to serve us now in 10 years from now. And part of that is that once a territory is created, they don't get to, you can't um, apply for additional funding other than like inflationary growth for a period of six years. So quite literally, when you put it into play, you basically have to make sure it works for 10, it will work to serve you for 10 years. Um, and so it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of consideration on, uh, you know, talking to very smart people, people who are smarter than me and the others I serve with, who have done this other places, not only around the state, but around the country. And so that's important. 
Um, again, I'll give a shout out to the town. I think that the town council is doing a good job in terms of getting ahead of this. They have just redone their master plan within the last year, and they're working on a lot of those, like I said, quality of life type issues. So I think really the importance is, is over the last year, one of the things we've developed is a much closer working relationship between the town and the township. And that's not to say it didn't exist before. I think before, I just think it's a deeper relationship now. And we need to keep that going because we are only doing our best at serving our communities when we are communicating between ourselves. So, um, like I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a delicate balance. It's going to take everybody coming to the table and being willing to work on this together because no, no one of us has the power to stop the growth, right? It's not like I can snap my fingers and, you know, these new people aren't going to move here anymore. It's not how life works. Um, but that being said, and particularly here in the town, and, and I think they're looking at it, it's the town council is going to be the ones that are going to have to control that because they'll pass the ordinances that really dictate who can build when and where and what. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's wise. Um, and it is, is keeping a steady, intentional pace. Mm-hmm. Um, when you grow beyond what you've built, that's when you land in, into uh, some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can citizens of Winfield partner in the vision of a thriving community? The everyday person and mm-hmm. family member, how can we um, partner or join in the greater good? Sure. So number one, become and stay engaged. And I think people hear that a lot nowadays, but truthfully, it's important, more important now than ever in my opinion, to attend your town council meetings. Attend your township advisory board meetings. If you live in the Porter County side of Lakes of the Four Seasons or that area, attend the West Porter Fire Protection Territory meetings. If you have any questions, you can reach out to my office, the Winfield Township Trustee's Office, and we'll provide you with a list of times and dates for those meetings. My board, the Township Advisory Board, meets uh, once a month on the fourth Monday of every month at 6.30 p.m. in my office. Um, if we vary from that, we post it outside and we we published it in the news. We give it to the newspapers for publication. So, but in general, we would welcome you. Um, in one year, I've probably only had twenty-five or twenty-six people show up, which is actually pretty good, because my understanding is my predecessor didn't have anyone really show up like that. Um, but we would love to see more, because frankly, it is helpful for us to hear what the public's opinion may be on any given issue. Um, the other thing is too is just. You know, make sure you go to those community events. I've mentioned some of them already, but the Winfield Fall Harvest Festival, the cleanup days, the movies in the park, the um, Christmas with Santa that we hold for the kids, or the Easter egg rolls. Do those events because one of the ways that ensures our communities grow together is by actually embracing the community aspect of it, right? Actually coming together and being together. I think one of the things that particularly is lacking here in Winfield Town and Township is, as I said at the very top of this discussion, there really isn't a cohesiveness in that community identity. It doesn't, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but it doesn't really mean anything to be from Winfield. And I would like for it to mean something. I I want people to begin to feel like we are one community and they don't have to try and determine, well, wait, do I live in Winfield? Do I not? Do I live in Crown Point? I want people to know where they live. I want people to know which community they're in and who their neighbors are. And so, like I said, come out to the events, come out to the important meetings, uh, make your voices heard. And and in that way, I think also they will stay abreast of how to continue to be involved, right? Because those are going to change. We're going to have new things that come up from time to time. Um, but those that would really be my advice. 
Wonderful. And I think we could do a lot as leaders in, in the community by coordinating mm -hmm. uh, joint events. Absolutely. Um, and participating and supporting it in that way. So I look forward to working with you uh, in, in the future. Um, we really want to thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we so appreciate you, uh, Cody, and the Winfield Township uh, Trustee's Office, and uh, I applaud your leadership. Thank you. And uh, this, uh, this discussion, this conversation has been so fruitful, and uh, I, I wish you another year of success and uh, look forward to partnering with you and supporting uh, all the ways that we can come together and forge common ground um, for the greater good of our community, Winfield. Well, thank you, Reverend, and thank you, sir, for, for the opportunity to be with you today. Um, I've really appreciated it. I think conversations like this are incredibly important. It is the only way that we can ensure that folks are becoming aware of the services that may be available to them. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed every conversation that we've had as well, and, and it's consistently been on this level of partnership and how we, can we bring this community together. So. I think, I think the podcast is aptly named because I think that's what this is all about. It is about establishing and finding that common ground and making sure that we all move forward together. So again, thank you, Reverend. I do appreciate the time. Thank you.